Good morning. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Emmanuel. Hi, my name's Stephen. Uh, lovely to see you. And uh, it was lovely to be with many of you uh, last week at Ashburnham. It took me, I'd say, it took a few days to recover. Not used to living outside for four days. And, uh, but nice to be back in my own bed this week. Uh, but yeah, good to be with you. I think I just want to encourage you. Let's build on uh, the community uh, that we were building last week. If, you're, if you missed out, you didn't miss out. We're still a family, and I'm sure we're going to have lots of opportunities over the coming weeks and months as the weather is nicer, particularly uh, to spend time with each other. Let me encourage you, make, keep making that a priority for yourself. And uh, we've already started planning the next weekender. <laughs> I can't believe it. We're already there. Okay, but so, so more news to follow about that, I'm sure. Uh, so two weeks ago, um, we were in our Buried series. We're back in it again uh, today. And two weeks ago, I told you that we're in chapter 41. And it was so jam-packed, full of uh, wonderful things for us to look at uh, that we're going to do over two weeks. So this is kind of part two. Uh, part one, we looked at the fact that God reveals himself to us as we looked at the fact that God revealed himself uh, to Pharaoh. Today, we're really looking back at the protagonist of our story, looking again at Joseph. And today we're going to see that Joseph goes from rags to riches, an amazing rags to riches story. Uh, He was at the bottom of the heap in a life of servitude and imprisonment, betrayal, false accusation, being buried and forgotten. But in this chapter, things flip around and he's made a prince, highly favoured and respected, living a luxurious life, suddenly has a wife, has a family, privilege and possessions and a clear sense of God's purpose in his life. Who would like some more of that in their life? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to tell you exactly how you can get it this morning uh, before you leave. Um, Or will I? We shall see. Well, there's definitely some godly principles for us to learn about how God elevates us and also for some things for us to look at in the life of Jesus as well. But to help us with that, I'm going to catch us up on the story. So if you're new here this morning, or if you're like me, you could do a series recap at the beginning of a new episode. This is for you. Okay, so Joseph, at the age of 17, has these amazing dreams and God-given dreams. They're given to him by God, but he doesn't handle them very well. He wears them, wears them as a badge of pride and has spouts them off to his brothers, who already don't really like him that much because he's the favourite brother amongst 12. And so his 10 older brothers, they start to loathe him. In fact, they hate him. They make plans to get rid of him and they throw him into a pit and eventually sell him into slavery. And Joseph goes down to Egypt and is a slave there in a, a kind of a government official's house, a guy called Potiphar, and he works there for a while and then eventually is falsely accused of sexual assault and then thrown into prison and serves in a prison uh, for many years. When eventually a butler and a baker, who we learned about a few years, a few weeks back, uh, come along, they have some dreams that disturb them and uh, God helps Joseph to interpret their dreams. And uh, as the butler leaves to go back to Pharaoh's palace, uh, Joseph says, remember me. But the butler does not remember him. And Joseph is there for two more years. So a total of 13 years between the pits and this at Genesis 41, where eventually Pharaoh has some dreams, has dreams that are inexplicable, that even his wisest advisors cannot give him advice about what they mean. And finally, the butler remembers Joseph. And Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dreams about corn and cows, 
And God helps Joseph to interpret his dream and says, this isn't just a dream. This is a warning for you and all of Egypt that a famine is on its way and preparations need to be made. Pharaoh looks at Joseph and sees the spirit of God in him and says, wow, you are wise and discerning. You should be the man that helps make these preparations for us. And he then bestows great favour and blessing upon Joseph. And that is where we're at in today's story. Let's listen to it together. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Before we look at the story together. Henry Fowle, thank you for um, these stories we find in the scriptures. 
stories that speak of real people who have real interactions with you. Thank you for what they teach us about your love and of your grace, your power and your purposes. And we pray, God, would you speak to us about those things uh, today. Pray for the person uh, who needs to hear some of these things the most. Lord, I pray, help us to sit up and uh, have ears to hear and hearts open and willing to be changed and challenged and uh, encouraged by you this morning, we pray. Uh, whether we're watching online, whether we're in the room, Lord God, come and do us good as we look at your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So finally, things are coming good for Joseph. He's being exalted. He's being glorified uh, in this story. Two kind of very biblical words, exaltation and glorification, not words we necessarily use loads in life, but both just mean simply being lifted up being raised up. And we've caused this series buried because for much of Joseph's life, he has been forgotten about. In fact, there's been a 13-year period that he's just been off everyone's radar, everyone but God's. And uh, I spoke about Joseph going into the pit quite a few weeks ago now. I said it was quite a sudden turnaround. He went from being under his father's favor to being in the pit in the space of 24 hours. Did not see it coming. Similarly, kind of bookended the other end of this burial, as it were. He's gone 24 hours from being in prison to being in the, under Pharaoh's favor. There's wonderful symmetry going on. And it could seem like, oh, God's finally got involved in Joseph's story. Suddenly, the exaltation, this last 24 hours, got involved in Joseph's story so that he's finally lifted up. I say to you, it's not a suddenly. God's been involved right the way through. In fact, Joseph's burial was God's doing. And God, God doesn't do evil, but he does authorize all that happens upon the earth. And uh, God is as much in Joseph's story in the 13 years as he was in the 24 hours of things flipping around in rags to riches. I have a few children, and, uh, and therefore me and my wife have been through a few pregnancies. And uh, it gets to about six months in, and my impatience kicks in. I think I just want to meet this new child. Now, I'm probably not as impatient as my wife, who is carrying the child. She had nice pregnancies generally, but there's a point where it gets uncomfortable, and she's keen the child arrives. So we're both fairly keen that the next child arrives. But neither of us actually wants it to arrive at the six-month mark. Both of us know that the nine-month mark, or it feels like closer to ten months in reality, Mark, uh, that the child comes, it's the right one. Because we want the child to be fully developed. We want it to go through all it needs to go through before it enters the world. And uh, sure, the birth and the labor is quick. And uh, one of our children was 17 hours. Didn't seem very quick. But compared to the pregnancy, it is quite short. And a bit like Joseph here, his he's kind of rise to power, his exhortation is quite short. But the pregnancy has been long. For him, this kind of pregnancy, Pregnancy of, of preparation has been 13 long years. But God's been on it all, not just in the birth, as it were, but right throughout this pregnant time, as it were. And during that pregnancy, during this burial, no doubt Joseph has called out to God and had wanted it to end. It's not wrong for what Joseph wanted to, it, to have wanted it to end. To want it to be released from prison, to receive a vindication for the injustice he's felt at the, or received at the, the hands of his brothers, or the false accusation of Potiphar's wife. It's not wrong for him want to see the promises of God come to pass in his life, or to be released from prison, or just have some of his pressures and problems relieved. It's not wrong for him want, to want those things. In fact, God wanted those things for him. 
But God wants them at the right time. Not the six-month mark, but at the nine-month mark. Or for him as it was, 13 long years. God orchestrated all of these events, including Joseph's burial, for Joseph's good. And not just his good, but actually the good of all Egypt, as we read in this story. But why? Why does he do it this way? And how does that apply to us? And what does this show us about Jesus? Let's have a look at that together. Because God has destiny for each one of us. God actually wants to see each of us lifted up in a place where we are thriving with him. But his picture of that is not always the same picture that we have of that. And his preparation to get there is not always the preparation that we want. I'm a bit of a geek about, about some things, uh, particularly when it comes to seeing things built. And uh, I uh, spend a lot of my week, working week uh, floor down from this in this building, looking at the building that's been going up opposite, enjoying so much of it, kind of the foundations going down and, and all that goes in, into it for it to be constructed. And uh, this wouldn't be the first time in my life that I've spent time staring at construct, things being constructed. There was a time where me and my wife used to go on regular date nights, uh, to the beach and walk along in the sunshine just so that I could basically watch the I-360 be built. I used to go along, there's a new bit of a new section of the I-360 kind of got put on the shore and they use this contraption to lift it up into the sky. I was like, this is so good. And I was like, mm-hmm, wonderful. And uh, I remember when they were building the Shard in London and I used to go and Google different things about it. And when documentaries came out about it, I kind of poured over them. I was like, it's so cool. And, uh, but for the Shard to be exalted, to be lifted in, high into the sky, 310 meters into the sky, they had to dig some pretty serious foundations, 53 meters deep into the ground. It's complex uh, kind of foundations that they, they built. It only took about 36 hours to pour the concrete, just let you know. But the network in which it had to pour it into took months to get ready, ready for this structure to begin to be built. 310 meters high, but 53 meters deep into the ground. It's a wonderful picture of what God wants to do with our lives. He does want us to do amazing things for him. But before he does that, he wants to do things in us first. He wants to put deep foundations in. For Joseph, he just had to move him country. Had to move from Canaan to Egypt. Just some of his preparation, just being moved to a different place. But there's also some things that he needed to learn, some skills and some life experience. And uh, we don't always like preparation, but preparation, nevertheless, is what he needed. Joseph needed to learn language and the customs of Egypt. If he was going to be lord of it all and instruct people to gather food and uh, build store cities, well, he needs to be able to converse with them, not just in language, but in custom. And so he lived from 17 to 30 in a place where he was lived in a kind of place that was very uncomfortable, learning languages, learning customs that hadn't grown up in. But you spent over a decade in another country with no, none of your kinfolk to do life with. You learn that to a deep level. And that's what he learned. He had to connect with people. Obviously, he lived in a governor's house, so no doubt got to learn lots of, uh, got to meet lots of officials. And even in the prison, it seemed to be some kind of palace prison where he met the pharaohs, butler and baker. No doubt he would have met others throughout the years as well. But making connections with other people. So learning skills, making connections, and then how to learn some key things around administration, leadership, and governance. Joseph was just the son of a farmer. But he needed to get to the place where he could live, converse, connect with people in Egypt. 
And they had the skills they needed to orchestrate the most major kind of uh, nation-building project that anyone had undertaken at that point. Well, he had to learn some things. It took 13 years to learn it. Now, he might want it to be two years or four years, but God ordained that it was 13 long years. We don't like having to go through preparation. We just want to walk into the things of God. But we know that's just not the way of life. And if you are sports people here or musicians, you'll know that to enjoy your sport at a high level, either competition or jamming with your mates or playing on stages, you know, yes, there's the fun part of it, but it often takes a long time to learn your scales. Or I was speaking to a guy called Dan last week who was pursuing tennis at one point in his life, and he said he loved the competitions, but he loved them more because he also had to do the bit he didn't love, which is playing tennis by himself, just serving at the court hour after hour, no matter what conditions, just that so he was good enough when it came to the competition so he could enjoy it. We don't necessarily enjoy the preparation. But we need it so that we have the freedom to do the things that God wants to do. I taught my son to drive recently and uh, learning clutch control. Watching someone else learn clutch control uh, was a joy. Uh, <laughs> my son bosses it in life in lots of things. But watching, like, how do you do this? I just, I was like, just drive slowly. You know, it's just be kangaroo hop down the road. But he's got it. And he drives well now. <laughs> Preparation, it takes time, but it's there to give us the skills and give us the freedom to do the things that God wants us to do in life. We know that. But God's not just concerned with these outward skills. He's also very concerned with our hearts, what's going on in our inward character. And that's definitely the case with Joseph. As I said, he was an arrogant 17-year-old. God was upon him then, even then. But there was some arrogance and some bits that God needed to knock off him and wanted to test him and prove him. And Joseph passes those tests. Joseph, as he's proved, we see that he is an extraordinary young man in reality. I often look at the life of Joseph and think, I want to be more like Joseph. I look at the Bible and think, I want to be more like Jesus. But I look at the life of Joseph and think, yeah, I also want to be more like Joseph. At every situation that Joseph is put into, he is proven to be faithful. He put, gets put into Potiphar's house. You know, of all places, he could just do the bare minimum as a slave. Just enough, just to escape the attention of those that are over him. But he doesn't. He gives himself to the tasks that are in front of him. And he's faithful with what he's given. To the, point, the, to the point that Potiphar spots it and elevates him over all his household. Very similar to Potiphar. Uh, sorry, very similar to Pharaoh putting him over all of Egypt. And he gives himself to it. To the point that Potiphar doesn't need to worry I think if I'm Joseph at that point, you could orchestrate the most amazing escape. But he doesn't. He looks after things to the point that Potiphar's house prospers. When he gets put into prison, it's the same story again. Suddenly you think, oh, finally, just sit in your cell. Just do the bare minimum. Sit and be sorry for yourself. But he doesn't. He gives himself to tasks around the prison to the point where the prison authorities raise him up, exalt him to a place where he's over the prison. Again, you think, to orchestrate a prison break, surely. But he doesn't. He serves faithfully and diligently, waiting for God's timing. Not forcing his way into promotion, not escaping from the place he's in, but accepting that God is doing something. That God is the one who's buried him, this seed. God has put him in this time of pregnancy, as it were. Didn't cut, didn't cut corners, but gave himself over to God's ways. There was a maturity that was coming in these times. Another area very clearly seen in Joseph's life is this wonderful sense of humility. Joseph, again, loved to point to himself 
when he was living in his father's house. Like, Look at my colourful coat. Look at my amazing dreams. You will bow down to me. But suddenly we see the inter- suddenly, well, suddenly we see in his interactions later in his life, though, where there's humility. Where he says to the baker and butler, God will show you what your dreams mean. He's going to use Joseph, but he points to God. And when he stands before Pharaoh, he says, God will give you a favourable answer. It's not about him. It's about what God will do. And even when he tells Pharaoh that you need a man who's wise and discerning to help you with your preparations, he doesn't say, so pick me. No, he just tells Pharaoh, leaves it with Pharaoh, trusting that God will elevate him if that's the right thing, which, of course, that is what happens. What about you? What times of preparation has God put you in? Maybe past or present, or maybe you're going into one. It's not always just our younger years. As we read the Bible, sometimes it's from uh, our younger years. Sometimes it takes 10 years. Sometimes it takes 30 years. Sometimes it takes 40 years. Moses, it took 80 years. I read that and often say, God, please, no. I was like, I'm happy to take another couple of hours for you to prepare some things. But God's timing is often much longer than we would want. Are you someone who moans about the situations you are in? Are you asking God what he's doing in the things that you are going through? Are you looking for a way out? Are you asking God for his help? Are you trusting him for his faithfulness? Are you being a blessing where you are like Joseph? Are you submitting yourself to what God will do with you? Will you allow him to bury you? Or will you claw your way at the walls? Or will you allow him to, at the right time, in the right way, raise you up? These are hard lessons. Even Jesus grappled with these. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he faced the fact that he was going to go through an excruciating death, he said, can this cup, this way be taken from me? But yet I submit to your will, God. But he grappled. It's not wrong for us to grapple with God these things. I have grappled with God at times. If I've kicked back and I've clawed my way out, in fact, at times. There's a season of my life I look back on. I spent two or three years just totally rejecting what God was trying to do in my life. I hope in my later years I'm doing better with it. I spend time often praying about the things that I'm going through, saying, God, I want a way out, but if you're doing something in this, help me to work with you. We're those who are called to co-labor with God. It's not easy, always. But we're trusting that God will bring things right at the right time. I said, God, can I walk away? Can I give up on this thing? God says to us again, trust me, my will, my ways. Why? Because my vindication, my lifting up, my exaltation is much better than yours will ever be. We do know people who self-promote and get themselves into all kinds of positions. But it's never as good as when God does it. Joseph, maybe at the kind of, uh, where was that, there for 13 years, maybe at the six-year point, could have tried to get himself out of it. Maybe particularly at an 11-year point, where he says to the butler, you know, remember me to Pharaoh, get me out. Maybe he's thinking, why, God, have you not let me out at this point? Well, God could have let him out at that point. What would Joseph have done? Joseph got a camel. He would have gone back to Canaan, gone back to his father's household, told his father about what his brothers had done, maybe get a new coat of goat's hair, different colours. He would have had that, would have been free. But that's not what God had for him. God wants to take him from the prison, not back to Canaan, but to the palace, to make him a prince, to use him to do amazing things that would save the land of Egypt. And not just the land of Egypt, but his family as well. 
If he had shortcuts, if the baby had come out at six months, it would, would have caught up, would have been premature for what God wanted to do in his life. 2 Corinthians 2 says this, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these are the things God has prepared for those who will wait for him, those who love him. Will you wait for God to let him do the things that are more than you can ask or imagine? Will you let him do that in your life? Maybe for you, you're not a Christian here. And maybe just having to sit in church and sit under these kinds of teachings and grapple with God, maybe you don't want to do that. Hey, this is, seems a waste of my time. Or it takes too much to look inward and admit the fact there's sin in my life. Those things are, are difficult. Looking at my past, looking at the things that I've done wrong, things I've said that are wrong, things that I've thought that are wrong. Better just to ignore those things. God was like, no, no, come to me. That's part of my preparation in your life. Why? Because I want you to experience that sense of death and difficulty. Why? So I can bring you into life and freedom and healing and goodness. That's what God wants to do. As we look at this story, we often want to look and say, oh, what am I like Joseph? But reality is Jesus is the better Joseph. When I look at this story, we're not Joseph, we're not Potiphar, we're not the brothers, we're not Jacob. Who are we in this story? We're the people in the land who are going to suffer famine. And we need a rescuer. We need a Joseph. We need the greater Joseph. We need Jesus. And as we've said many times throughout this series, we're looking at Joseph, but really because that points to Jesus. He's a foreshadowing of the one to come. And the one to come, he knew what it was to go through a burial. He knew what it was to go through a humiliation before he received his exaltation. Jesus said this to his disciples soon before, uh, kind of, uh, uh, before he died, he said this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For I, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples, I didn't get it as you read uh, the scriptures, uh, that he's going to die. He was going to be taken from them. He was going to suffer at the hands of those he created. He was going to be lifted up on a cross and then buried in a tomb. And he was going to, that was going to be the things he did because that was the best thing for them. They couldn't understand that. They couldn't believe. This Jesus who they were walking with, who did amazing miracles, who taught them amazing things, mind-blowing things, wisdom that poured forth from him, how could it be good for them to lose him? If he died, they, they couldn't get it around their heads. No, no, you mustn't die, God. That's wrong. And he had to say, no, no, this is the way. This is the best way. Because if I die, if I go into the ground, then I'll then put down roots and shoot up through the ground and bear fruit. Fruit that is unimaginable. It's salvation for all the world. That's the Jesus that we're looking at. That is the Jesus that Joseph is pointing towards. Philippians 2 explains this very well to us. It says this, Jesus made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Joseph went from Canaan to Egypt. Jesus came from heaven to earth. That itself would have felt like a burial. Living in all eternity with your father in glory and coming as a man to be born into first century Palestine and live the life he did. That would have been a certain humility, just that. But he goes and says, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. We see in the life of Joseph that he did become a faithful and obedient man. 
a bang in the Potiphar's house, a bang in uh, the prison, doing what was given to him. Jesus obeyed to a whole other level, obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, a humiliating death. But Philippians goes on to say this, therefore, because of coming from heaven to earth, because of going to cross, therefore, God exalted him, exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus had a greater burial than Joseph, but he also had a greater exaltation. And an exaltation that in fact we are joined to. We're going to look in a moment at the fact that we look at the story of Joseph and all these different features of his exaltation. And I, I, I found 17 as I went through my preparation this way. 17 ways it points towards a better Jesus. We won't go through all 17, don't worry. But 17 ways it points towards a better Jesus. But each one of them, there's echoes of what is to come for us as well. Because Jesus prayed, I have given them the glory that you have given me. The Father raised Jesus up, gave him his glory. In the same way that Jesus, Joseph was given glory, the same way that we'll be given glory. Joseph is this foreshadowing of Jesus, and we are the echo of what is happening to Jesus, a reflection of what's happened to him. So let's have a look at some of these ways. Verse 38, Pharaoh says to Joseph, Can we find a man like this? So extraordinary was the man that's standing before Pharaoh. The Father in heaven says the same about Jesus to us. At the, at the day of Jesus' baptism, heaven opens and the Father says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Can there be a man like Jesus? There never has been. There never will be. Maybe someone other than Joseph could have organized Egypt to save them from the famine. But I tell you what, no one else can bring salvation to your life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one is like him. Verse 38 goes on to say, In whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh calls out and Joseph said, This man, he clearly has the Holy Spirit upon him. Father calls out, This is my son whom I'm well pleased. What happens then? The Spirit then descends upon Jesus. Caesar, and it's seen by others around him, seen in the way that he walks. John's disciples come to him at one point and say, What's the, are, you, are you the Messiah? Is there one other to come? Jesus said, look, the lame walk, the blind see. And they go back with a good report that clearly the Spirit of God is upon Jesus. He is the Messiah, the, the one they've been waiting for. The wonderful thing is, yes, the glory that Jesus has given, we're given as well. We're to be those who are also filled with the Spirit. Last weekend marked uh, their uh, Pentecost. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. And we were away at Ashburn and we knew the Spirit of God amongst us. People being saved last week. People being healed last week. People being helped and taught and filled with the Spirit. That's also something we're to expect each week as we meet on Sunday by Sunday. The Spirit of God is with us and upon us. I pray more and more the world around us might see that we are people of the Spirit. Verse 40, Pharaoh says this to Joseph, You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh says, like Potiphar said, like the prison authority says, Joseph, you've got free reign. You have all authority here. Jesus more so. Jesus now King of kings and Lord of lords. No one like him at all. 
We're in a weird now and not yet moment where he is king of kings, lord of lords, but he's letting the world continue to spin as it is, sustaining it as it is. With all its difficulty, with all its sadness, just reading the news again yesterday, seeing the train crash in India, you think, God, why? But a time where, when train crashes will not happen, where there will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more hurt, and Jesus reigns supremely and invites us to come and rule and reign with him as well. And uh, Pharaoh only keeps back the throne for himself. We see that with the father and the son. Jesus somehow still submits to the father. We see that in the garden of Gethsemane. He says, your will, not mine. I only do what I see the father doing. I sit at the right hand of his throne in heaven. But as I was considering this, I was just praying for us. I think maybe for some of us, we have made Jesus maybe the prince of our life, but we've not given him everything. Pharaoh, in one sense, could have taken something back at various points. Said, okay, oh, I said that, but actually, no, I want this much. And the reality is, God doesn't uh, make us like robots. When he comes into our life, his lordship doesn't work like we then become robotic and have to do exactly as he says. No, no, he is lord of lords, king of kings, lord of our lives. That was what we ask him to be. But in reality, we often keep things back. Maybe for you today, you can identify there's a relationship, but you don't really want Jesus to be over. Maybe there's a portion of your finances or your work life or a particular sin issue. You think, God, I don't, this far but no further. I just want to say to you, Potiphar, uh, Pharaoh saw the best thing for the land of Egypt was to put Joseph over it all. I tell you, the best thing you can do for your life is put Jesus over it all. Joseph asked the people for 20% of everything they had for the first seven years. That would have been painful. But you know what was the best thing they could do? It saved them from famine. There may be cost in giving everything of your life to Jesus. In fact, I tell you, there will be. The life of Christianity is a costly life, but it's the best thing you could ever do. It will save you. It will keep you safe and it will cause you to flourish. There's many more things I could say. Let me just finish by saying this. Pharaoh clothed Joseph in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Robes and clothing seem to play quite a key part of Joseph's story. There he is with his technical dream coat and at age of 17, that gets him in all kinds of trouble and he has it ripped and taken from him, torn up. A bit like Jesus coming from heaven, having his heavenly kind of robes taken from him. Then when he was here on earth, literally having his clothes ripped from his back as he was nailed naked to a cross. But like Joseph, Joseph had royal robes and put upon him. Jesus is now arraigned in regal robes at the right hand of the Father, Lord of lords and King of kings. And one of the things, like I said earlier, Jesus shares his glory with you and me. He shares his righteous robes with you and me. Wear the robes that we wear are the ones who are a prisoner. Not because we are falsely accused, because actually we are fairly accused. We've all done things that are wrong, said things that are wrong, thought things that are wrong, and that means we are deserved to be shunned for all time, buried forever. But God in his goodness reaches down, lifts us up, to just clean us up, but then puts upon his royal robes, his ring of his family name, invites us close to him. 
It's wonderful for us that we can worship him, but also that we can share in the goodness of what's happened to him. His exaltation, his glorification is one that he shares with us. And we know a flavor of it in this life, but I tell you, we've got a life to come. New heavens and new earth, where we will rule and reign with him for all eternity. Let me finish by saying this. Last thing from this passage. When the people were famished and crying out, Pharaoh tells them to do what? Go to Joseph. Let me encourage you today. Where are you at? Are you famished? Are you hurting? Is your particular time of preparation really tough and difficult? You don't understand why you are where you are, why you're going through what you're going through. Heed Pharaoh's words. Go to Joseph. Go to the greater Joseph. Go to Jesus, even this morning. Jesus, exalted to the highest place, with the name above every other name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As a band come up, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the life of Joseph, what we see in it, Lord God, and may it inspire us in all kinds of ways, Lord God, but we know that inspiration isn't enough. We need your help. We need your spirit upon us. We need your, um, we need your exaltation, your glorification. We need your help in the preparation times as well, Lord. I thank you. You know each person's circumstance in the room. I pray would you come with your kindness. Come alongside them. Let them know your, your help in whatever place they're at, Lord God. Help most of all to see you, Lord to see the King of Kings, to see the Lord of Lords. Help us even as we worship now, Lord God, not to look at ourselves, not look at our circumstances, but look to you, knowing that you alone are our hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.